0: How many of you can remember the last time you read the book of Philemon? A few of you, fantastic. It's a tiny book, the smallest in the New Testament, just before Hebrews. And we're going to study that together. We have Bible studies starting this fall. We love the Bible. We love to study the Bible. Vintage women Bible studies is going to kick off soon, very exciting. And also our community groups do Bible studies. So, uh, but we're going to do one today on the book of Philemon. And Philemon gives, gives us an example of how we outwork following Jesus in tough situations. When we're in a difficult situation, in relationships, or in church, or in our work, as followers of Jesus, how do we follow Jesus in that situation? Cultural renewal, and the kingdom of God, and light comes into the darkness. When Jesus' followers follow Jesus in these difficult scenarios in the book of philemon we have a case study of how to follow jesus when it gets really tough when the circumstances are quite difficult i remember when i was at seminary when i was doing my theology classes the exams were not just questions about theology they would pose a particular circumstance a situation and say how would you apply the gospel to this situation I dug out my papers last night and I found a couple of the questions were things like this. If someone came up to you and said, all of the earth's creatures are holy and none are more important than any others, so we human beings shouldn't hunt or fish or eat meat. So I had to write a paper on that. The other one was, what if someone says, what really matters is the soul? The body is a trap, a burden to be laid aside in the resurrection. So let's concentrate on saving souls. What would you say? See, when you become a Christian, these become realities to you because to become a Christian is not just to believe in Jesus, it is to follow him, is to become an apprentice of him, is to bring all of your life under the will of Jesus. And the Bible doesn't give us an answer for every situation, therefore, what to do, because it would be impossible to do that. But in every situation, as followers of Jesus, we therefore say, Jesus, what would you have me do? How can I follow Jesus? How can I apply the gospel to this situation? In fact, that is the ultimate definition of Christian maturity. That whatever situation you're in, whatever conversation you're in, whatever fight you're in, whatever um, circumstance you're in, you say as a Jesus follower, what does it mean to follow Jesus in this situation? How do I apply the gospel to this situation? Sometimes that can be really hard. And in fact, the last 18 months have given us really hard situations where Jesus followers, we say, how does Jesus apply to this situation? What does it mean to follow Jesus in this situation? So easy, isn't it? When we've gone through all the issues that we've been through the last year, and we keep going through masks, the brutal murder of George Floyd, um, the situation of the election, the uh, election educational system in la right now and what's being taught and what we like what we don't like it's easy to react out of our flesh it's easy to react out of our own personal desires it's easy to react out of our nationalism of the country we're from and yet as jesus followers he says you should seek my kingdom my will then our first response is jesus what would you have us do what does it look like to follow jesus in fact these are tricky situations and just so let you know, this fall, we'll be there for starting a series in October called Jesus And, where we will gather around the Bible, gather around Jesus and say, Jesus and politics, Jesus and sexual ethics, Jesus and race, Jesus and social justice, Jesus and authorities, Jesus and liberalism, all these things. The questions that we're trying to navigate, how do we as followers of Jesus follow Jesus in these things? Now, all of that is to say Philemon is there for a great little book to read because this is a case study, an example of the Apostle Paul applying the gospel, applying Jesus to a really difficult practical situation. It's a real case study of what it means to ask the question, Jesus, what do you want us to do? What does it mean to follow you in this situation? Before we read the letter, let me give you a bit of context. What is going on? that prompts this letter that Paul writes. Well, there are, there's two people you have to get to know. First is Philemon. Philemon is a Christian leader in the church of Colossae. He's kind of like one of the pastors, kind of like Pastor Asher. He's one of the pastors. And he has a little group in his church, like a community group in his church, in his home, rather. And so he has a community group in his home, and he has actually a few slaves. Now, uh, slavery in the first century is very different to slavery, That the tragedy of slavery in the last four, five hundred years, slavery was very different. It was more, in this case, economic slavery, where someone owed a debt to someone, and then they would actually pay off that debt. They would become the slave. They would work, and you could be a doctor, you could be all sorts of things, but you're working for, and you're under that person's, your master. You have a master to, in, in order to pay it off. Still not great. Not justifying it, right? And we'll see later on the full abolition of slavery, but. That's what's going on here, because Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus was not a Christian. He obviously owed a lot of money to Philemon and therefore was trying to pay it off as a slave. But then suddenly Onesimus decides to run away. And he takes a bag of swag with him. We don't know what he took, but he took a lot of money, stole from uh, from Philemon and ran away. Now Onesimus then, on his travels, ends up in Rome and bumps into a man called Paul, the Apostle Paul. And therefore, kind of foregone conclusion, Onesimus becomes a Christian. And so now Onesimus and Paul are wrestling with, well, what now? I'm kind of like a fugitive. I've kind of ran away. But now I'm free, which is kind of good. And in fact, I got no money, so I can't even pay him back. And in fact, a long way from Philemon, I'm sure they're just getting on with it. And now God's forgiven me, do I stay here? Paul, I'm helping you, Paul. What do we do? What do we do? What does the gospel say we should do in these circumstances? So Paul writes a letter, and in this letter we see how Paul counsels Philemon and Onesimus. And on, this is how to be Jesus followers in this situation. This is how we act like Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or look at the screen, Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, beginning in verse 1. <laughs> beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. We think Aphia was Philemon's wife, and Archippus, his son, because they're all in the house church there together. And to the church that meets in your home. Now just to pause there. What Paul begins to do is sends a letter, and he sends its letter not just to Philemon but to the whole church. Which means whoever was bringing this letter would read it aloud. The first time Philemon is hearing of this letter or its contents, it's being read aloud to the whole church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. The "you" there is singular, so he's addressing Philemon in public i always thank my god as i remember you in my prayers because i hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the lord jesus christ the whole room's going "Mm, we love you philemon (laughs) i pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of christ your love philemon has given me great joy and encouragement because you brother have refreshed the hearts of the lord's people And Philemon's like on cloud nine right now. (laughs) Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. You can imagine the whole room suddenly goes, ooh. (laughs) And Philemon goes, "Uh uh-oh, what's coming? It is as none other than Paul an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains like imagine the emotions in the room right now Onesimus the guy who ran away the guy who stole the guy who left us in the lurch the guy my enemy you're appealing for him? Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. little play on words here. Onesimus means the useful one. And so he's saying, now I know the useful one was useless. But now he genuinely is useful. I'm sending him who is my very heart. The word heart there is like my like treasured possession. I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. It's like, he's helping me here, man. I love this guy. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am myself writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, well, oh, by the way, not to mention, you owe me your very self. <laughs> Paul obviously led Philemon to Jesus. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's laying it on thick now. Confidence of your obedience to Jesus. Now, it says, obedience, now this is of Jesus, because he says, I'm not forcing you. You do what you want to do. Confidence of your obedience to Jesus. So he says, just see, so there, you know, I see this as obedience. Like if you punish him, if you double his debt, if you send him off to prison, if you enslave him for 20 more years to pay off the debt, whatever. this is a big deal. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and by, by the way, one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In other words, I'll come and check up on you. I'll be there soon. He closes the letter. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So here we have a really tricky situation. Onesimus would be petrified to go back. I could get caught by slave catchers. I could be sent to prison. I could be doubled down on my debt. I could be enslaved forever. Philemon's got every right to be angry at this guy. Every right to punish him. Culture would have said, this is obvious what you do here, guys. You double down his debt or send him to prison. But Paul says, the kingdom of God comes into this world when Jesus follows Don't do what culture says. We do what Jesus says. Light comes into the darkness, not through just our words, but through our actions. And Paul then calls three people to follow Jesus in three particular ways. The first thing is this. He says to Onesimus, you need to go back. You need to go back. You need to go back and seek reconciliation. Verse 12, he says, I am sending him back to you. Paul knows what it means that as a follower of Jesus, when we hurt someone... We are to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. That's how we roll as followers of Jesus. We don't do a geographic and get out of the situation. We don't avoid it. We don't minimize it. We don't defend it. We don't say, well, it was by accident. We don't say, well, I was going through a tough time. That They should know I was going through a tough time. You know, no. If you've hurt someone, as followers of Jesus, we reconcile. We go back. We see this in Jesus himself. Coming to reconcile us back to God. We see this in the prayer he taught us every day: pray, forgive me my sins, as I forgive those who sinned against me. We see in Matthew, it says that when you have a grievance with someone, you need to go and sort it out. It would have been easy for Elizabeth to go: look, I think we're just going to reopen old wounds. Let's just leave it, Paul. You know, I'm free. That's a good thing, right? And you know, it's a long way. I'm sure Philemon is such a man of God, he'll be fine. And in fact, Jesus has forgiven me. So all my sins have been washed away. Can't Can't we just call it quits? But Paul knew that the gospel is not just vertical in your relationship with God, but horizontal with your relationship with others. And the kingdom of God comes when we repair, when we renew what's been broken. So important that even in Matthew's gospel, it says, when you come to bring a sacrifice of worship to church, That if you're actually, if you've got anything against anyone, or anybody's got anything against you, you should should go sort it out before you come to worship. Because we're family. We're not individuals just approaching God, but we're family. And the horizontal is just as important that it flows out of the vertical. I remember when I grew up, this was taken seriously in the church I grew up with, quite embarrassingly so at times i remember one sunday when i was 18 we came to the communion table and it was like we got to get right with one another before we take communion i was going "Ooh, wow someone's upset with someone and so he said let's just close our eyes and uh if you feel that you need to get right with someone or someone needs to get right with you then just pray and then we'll just take the five this five minutes just to go up to them and just say hey you know i'm sorry or i or you've really hurt me So then we can reconcile as a family, then come to the communion table. I remember thinking, oh my word, someone like, what's going on in this church? So I closed my eyes and said, Lord, is there anybody? I went, no, I can't think of anybody I've hurt. Anybody hurt me? No, I can't think of anybody. But Lord, there must be some real tough situations going on. So I started to pray for others who had to reconcile. After about two minutes, I was praying for others, and suddenly I felt this tap on my shoulder. I thought yeah, maybe someone wants me to help bring peace to a situation or something. You know, So I opened my eyes, and I looked up, and there was a person waiting for me. And then I looked behind this person, and there was a line about of six people waiting to come talk to me about something. I thought, what is this? And then one by one, it was like, yeah, I've been really hurt by you. Yeah, I've been really hurt by you. And the first couple, it was like, Well, maybe what's God doing in your life that you felt I was hurt by you? All this kind of stuff, deflecting. Then I thought, hmm, maybe this is a blind spot right now. But we were able to reconcile. And I didn't even know. But obviously there was a distance between us that they were carrying. And we made space for reconciliation. The family of God needs space for reconciliation, to seek forgiveness. This last 18 months, i got to say, the last 18 months, the church hasn't been on our best behavior, have we? You know, and there's room, I think there's room. I've seen it in my own life, and I would suggest you might think of it in your own life, where you can go, you know what, I think I might have hurt someone. I think the way I spoke about my convictions was hurtful, dismissive, not humble and understanding their perspective. The way I did this probably wasn't great. There's room. And we actually, the gospel imperative is, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are to seek forgiveness and seek reconciliation. We can't just do a geographic and avoid it. This is how society knows, oh my word, you guys are different. Because you actually seek, you lean into Reconciliation. I was reading a tweet recently by a pastor who said this about church. We've got some work to do. And he wrote this. He said, if you leave your church during COVID, this is a pastor who knows lots of other pastors. He said, if you leave your church during COVID, please at least email your pastor and let them know. So many are ghosting out. It's honestly painful. People join or leave churches all the time. But the lack of communication is really hard this season. I get it's complicated, but this is a simple plea. You know? Maybe you've had that in friendships. Maybe you've seen that over in conversations. It's just been, I don't think we've done things in the way of Jesus. And maybe it's a time to reflect, like Onesimus, to go, we need to take the initiative to make it right, to seek forgiveness, to seek reconciliation. So Onesimus has to go back. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He also makes a plea to Philemon. To Onesimus he says, you've got to seek reconciliation. To Philemon he says, you've got to treat Onesimus in a brand new way. See, Philemon was, Philemon was like every right to treat him as a slave. To treat him for 20 more years to pay off his debt. To treat him as an enemy. To treat him as someone you could call the cops and he'd the slave catchers, literally the slave catchers would come. And in fact, every in the whole community would have been going, you can't trust this guy. But Paul writes to Philemon and says this in verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother as a dear brother see Paul doesn't give Philemon instructions of exactly what to do he gives Philemon a new lens through which to relate to Onesimus he said whatever you do right now Onesimus is now a brother in Christ his sins have been forgiven He's coming back to seek repentance. So whatever you do, I know you'll do the right thing. I know you want to see the kingdom of God thrive here. I know you want to see love overflow. And the way to do that, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm not going to get involved in the details of what you're going to do. But the one thing I'm going to ask you to do is the one thing I know you're going to do is treat him as a brother. Treat him as a brother. And he hints at what that means, which is like, and if you do that, it's really hard to treat him like a slave. You see, Paul gives an example of how the kingdom of God comes to renew all of society. That the gospel is so powerful, it will break down any system of injustice. But it doesn't do so through legislation. It does so through transformed hearts. A community of equality that we're all sinners saved by grace in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not going to order you to do anything because nothing will change if I order you. But in fact, I'm going to sow the seed of the gospel here, which is, oh my word, you, a slave left you, but you've got something better now. You've got a brother. You've got a brother. Paul invites Philemon to discern what he's going to do through the lens of he's my family now. He's one of me. He's my sibling. This has huge implications for not only how Philemon treats Onesimus, but how we treat one another. That Jesus made a radical claim, which is anyone who follows me is not just my follower, not just my friend, but they are now my family. In the first century, that was a big deal. In the first century, family was the closest possible relationship. It was the closest possible unity throughout your whole life we don't really see that in our western democracies where the individual is has primacy the individual determines what to do but in the first century and we see it in glimpses of other cultures I think of the Greek culture or somewhere else where family takes the primacy and if there's a wrestle between the individual and what's best for the family the family wins the community wins it's the same thing here Philemon is going look The family of God is the bride of Christ. The family of God is now everything. And now Onesimus, who was a slave, has come back to you. And guess what? He's now part of the family. Now what are you going to do with that? All bets are off. Because you now have to treat him as one of your own. Both of you saved by grace. Both of you equal in the sight of Christ. Both of you broken and just following Jesus the best you can. This is now how you need to see Onismus. This is a radical shift in the mind of Philemon. It meant the church was now fully diverse because it's no longer a community of friendship, of similar skin color, similar kind of social habits, similar economics. The family of Jesus is now anybody who says, I'm saved by grace and I want to follow Jesus why it's very nature it's very core the family of god is a diverse family that's why paul later writes there is now no longer jew or greek there's no longer slave or free there's no longer male or female for we're all now one in jesus christ we're all brothers and sisters how would it change everything you do in church life if you truly accepted what jesus said we are family how would it change your decisions. How would it change how you relate to one another? Turn to your neighbour now and say, Hey, I'm your brother or I'm your sister. You know which one to say. Turn to your neighbour, I'm your sister, I'm your brother. <laughs> See this is really important because I think what society has seen over the last 50, 60 years at least, is the church behaving as individuals coming to a worship service. But Jesus says the witness and the light of the gospel will go out when the church relates to each other as family. When we don't bounce out of difficult relationships, but we stick at it. When we care for each other, serve one another, love one another as family. It makes that sense then of the ethic that Paul has throughout, throughout his letters where he says, this is why you prefer others above yourself. This is why when someone's in need, you just share your stuff. It's because we are family. And in fact, Jesus goes one step further, which will freak us out in America. (laughs) Jesus looks at his own bloodline and says, you are now second to my spiritual family. Do you remember that? He's preaching and his mum and his brothers come and go, Jesus, we want you. They were pulling rank. We want you. We want to talk to you. Family family comes first. And guess what he says? You're absolutely right. Family comes first. But who is my mother? And who are my brothers? It's those who follow me. Holy moly. Do you see how big that is? But that's the beautiful nature of the kingdom of God. We are family. And I think there's, that means, see, that means if you're single, you've got a family. If you're divorced and been abandoned, you've got a family. If you're trying to raise kids by yourself, you've got a family. Right? The challenge is, I think sometimes in American Christianity, I'm not beating up, I'm part of American Christianity, right? We have still elevated the biological family over the spiritual one. Right, we have. Contrary, exactly contrary to what Jesus was doing. We've said the biological family is the primary unit of the Christian community. Not according to the gospel. And therefore single people, divorced people feel, yeah, thanks mate, I don't have a family now. I'm by myself. Exactly the opposite of what Jesus was trying to establish. Do you see now Philemon's going, okay, Archippus, we need to chat about this. Because I was going to do this to Philemon. I was going to do that to Philemon. She goes, you can't now, mate. He's family. Changes everything. And then Paul himself preaches to himself. He says, Onesimus, you need to go back. Seek reconciliation. We're family. He says to Philemon, you've got to accept him now as a brother. Which kind of means that the slavery thing is going to dismantle itself. Which is what then happened. But then Paul says, I'm family too. And I've got responsibility here. He knows that actually we're all tied together. That we can't just go, well, it's between you guys. I hope you work it out. Do you remember that verse, carry one another's burdens? Do you remember right in Genesis 3 and 4, people try to go, hey, am I my brother's keeper? Leave me out of it. But not when you're family. So Paul does two things that he realizes he's got to do. And the first thing is this, he's got to get involved and write this letter. He's got to stand with Onesimus and go, I'm not going to let you go back by yourself. I'm going to go before you. I can't physically because I'm in prison. I wish I could. But I'm going to do my best. next best thing is I'm going to write a letter. You stand outside the room when the letter's been written and read, and then they'll accept you in because I'm going to go before you. I will get involved. Do you hear that? I will get involved. We are so radically individual in our society that if it's a mess, what do we do? I just don't want to get involved. I want to kind of keep good in both people's books, right? As opposed to going, I'm going to get involved because a Jesus follower, we carry each other's burdens. And so he got involved. And I love what he did. He wrote a letter. And it's funny when you read it. It's like, dude, you are laying it on thick. You're saying, Philemon, this is going to be amazing. That this is the way to see God come in this situation. And he lays it on so thick that he knows that if Philemon was going to then punish Onesimus and imprison him again, he knew that Philemon would be going against everything that Paul is saying to him. See, For Paul, this was a matter of life and death for Onesimus. So he wasn't going to go, I'm going to get involved, but just say to Philemon, look, you guys sort it out. I know it's tough. Do your best. But no, no, this is so significant. This pastoral situation is so important. What you guys decide now is life or death. So I'm going to make it crystal clear. This is the way of Jesus in this situation. And if you don't follow the way of Jesus, not forcing you, But if you don't do this, I want you to know that you are really disobeying Jesus. And I'm not going to let you make an easy decision. I'm going to paint a picture of this is what it means to follow Jesus. So if you go the other way, you are crystal clear in the decision you're making. In other words, it's what I call the lost art of gospel persuasion. It's the lost art of gospel persuasion. That in family, do you know if you see a brother or a sister doing something, and sometimes you go, don't do it, stop. Because I don't want you to die, I don't want you to go down that road. You do everything you can to plead with them not to do it. Sometimes that has to happen spiritually. Out of love. The last 18 months have been tragic decisions made by people, shipwrecking their life and their faith, shipwrecking marriages. And we don't want to get involved. Well, we do want to get involved. Because I want to say to you, dude, if you leave your wife because you just think it's run its course, or life is just a bit tricky, or you've met someone else, or you're not living your best life in this covenant relationship, you want to feel, oh yeah, all this kind of stuff. I want you to know this is not the way of Jesus. And it will lead to death. I want you to know that nothing in Scripture except of extreme abusive situations, justifies you just checking out easily. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you make this decision, you know exactly what Jesus is telling you to do, but you are doing something different. Because the, a marriage is on the line. Kids are being traumatized. This I can't make this easy for you. Now your choice but we have to step into those situations with gospel persuasion, with love and care and say, please don't do this. Gospel persuasion is one of the dynamics of a loving family where we say, please don't shipwreck your faith by doing this. Please don't hurt the family by doing this, please. And I see those decisions all the time And sometimes we think, well, you know what, people have lived their own life, that's fine, and they do, and Paul says, I'm not going to order you. You have to do this voluntarily, but there are some issues where you and I will look at people and say, I want you to be crystal clear. If you go down that road, it will not be good. It is not the Jesus way. My heart breaks for you, and I'm pleading with you not to do that. The lost art of gospel persuasion. But then secondly, Paul just doesn't persuade, but he enters in sacrificially. He enters in sacrificially. He says in this verse, doesn't he? He says in this verse, look, whatever he owes, I will pay. I mean, the debt must have been huge. Onesimus was broke. Philemon needed the money, I'm sure. And so it wasn't Philemon just forgive him. It was, I'm going to make this easy for you guys. I'm going to pay the price for this relationship to be reconciled. Whatever he owes you, I will pay. It's that beautiful act of obedience to Jesus, to do what Jesus did for us. That on the cross, he bore our sin. On the cross, he bore our trespasses. On the cross, he bore our darkness so that we might receive his life. And Paul says, time and time again in his letters, this is what it means to follow Jesus, to share in his sufferings. It means that we live now a life of sacrificial suffering for the sake of others. That I will step in and I will try and do what I can to foster the kingdom of God, even when I sacrifice my time, my finances, my rights. Because I will sacrifice them all for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to apply the gospel in these difficult circumstances. The end result, of course, is so wonderful. The end result, church tradition teaches us that the end result is that Onesimus was welcomed back. That he was no longer a slave but a brother. That the kingdom of God came. That he was welcomed back and suddenly the light that was once in the darkness was over in my darkness, could now shine brightly in the city. This is how the gospel changes culture. This is how the gospel changes relationships. But I want you to hear that it begins by Jesus' followers saying, you know what, in this difficult situation, because I want the kingdom of God to come, I'm going to do what Jesus does. So whatever situation you're in today, there is hope. There's an opportunity for the kingdom to explode. There's an opportunity for light to come in the darkness and for love to triumph over evil. But it begins with us making the tough decisions. I'm going to follow Jesus, even when it's hard. Because on the other side of these tough decisions is the kingdom of God. Let's stand and pray together. love you to close your eyes and just let's have some time just with the Lord you yourself with the Lord Just Jesus what are you calling me to do in the difficult situations of life relationships vocation culture what are you asking me to do because as a Jesus follower I want to follow you because your way brings life your way brings light So Jesus, we just surrender ourselves to you as your people as we walk in the city and face the many difficult situations we face. We commit to walking through any situation the Jesus way, even when it's hard, even when it's sacrificial. We want to do things the Jesus way. Show us what that looks like, and as we do that. Let your light come to us city. Let your glory fall in the city. Let people see the goodness of Jesus.